We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, Yummy Mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums-to-be and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie and everybody listening. How are we this week? We are good. We're still a little bit up and down as per last week's episode. Mm -hmm. I promise I'm not going to talk about sleep. Most people wrote in with beautiful, heartfelt, empathetic messages and one person wrote in saying, stop talking about sleep, get a sleep consultant. So I was like, okay, I'll take a step back on the sleep chat. Uh, This actually isn't related to sleep, but I had some really, really high highs this week. I actually had my first night away. I flew down to Sydney and I went to the, we don't have time for this live show, which was absolutely incredible. Met so many beautiful bumpies as you are now all forced to be known as. Congratulations, everybody, for having a name, finally. You've got a new name. You're collectively the bumpies and we love you so much. And to everyone I met on Friday night, it was so, so beautiful to meet you. It was so incredible to go and watch. Did anyone miss me? Oh, no one mentioned. Oh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> of course. They didn't know that I existed outside of you. And I did say we are our own individuals. Yeah. We are allowed to do things separately. But, yeah, it was such an incredible show. I was so immensely proud of Gemma and Kate. If you haven't listened to, your, to their podcast before, we don't have time for this. It's so amazing. And the show was just really it was brilliant. So brilliant. And it was so nice to have a night on my own to be reminded that I can do that. Leading up to it, it had been a bit stressful because overnight Nick had a few times offered Pearl the bottle just to give me some longer stretches of sleep. And during the day, she takes the bottle absolutely fine. No questions asked. I mean, obviously I've spoken a lot about the fact that we've mixed fed her from pretty early on. So didn't think anything of it. I was like, cool, I'll sleep through the first feed. You give her the bottle. She started flat out refusing the bottle after hours. It was like daylight. She was fine. After hours, absolutely not. So we're thinking, shit, how am I going to go to Sydney? Because if I'm in Sydney and she doesn't take the bottle, he needed one of those the... meet the fuckers titty on him yes, where the granddad has that. I know to trick her. And so we just started thinking, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? I messaged my brother and my sister in law and I said, can you just be on standby for Friday night? You might have to watch the older two girls because Nick and Pearl may have to come to Sydney with me if we don't get this sorted. Anyway, he realised he was only putting three scoops in, not six. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so she was probably tasting it and going, yuck. What is this, like, <laughs> diluted sewer water? You were, like, you know, lukewarm. It's like diluted milk. Oh, there's nothing worse. Dad. It's like when you try and add water to the kids' juices yeah. to, you know, make them not as sugary. It just tastes like utter crap. So anyway, as soon as he was actually giving her a proper bottle, she took it fine and, yeah, had a great night away. She luckily didn't do that thing where the mum goes and they sleep through the night. She actually woke up four times that night. So I was actually really proud of her for not just deciding to sleep really well while I'm away. And, yeah, so that was that. It was so incredible. But in terms of the not-so-good parts of this week, I've still felt quite emotionally up and down. I've been riding that wave a little bit, trying to go easy on myself, but haven't really been like a parent that I'm particularly proud of. Like I haven't really been 
not necessarily being proud of. I just haven't been how I normally as as a mum. Like I've had a really, really short fuse, been incredibly impatient, no tolerance for anything, especially with the older two girls. And I don't know if they've been acting up more or if they've just been feeling my vibe or it's just been my tolerance has made me feel like they've been acting up more, but I've been so snappy. I'm not normally one to yell and I've got nothing against people that yell. I know that kids push our buttons, but I just, you know, everyone reacts to situations differently and I'm not normally a particularly reactive person in any relationship, but I've been very reactive, very like taking things personally that the kids do. And it's like, they're fucking kids then, you know, and to the point that the other night I was lying in dad in bed with the girls and Poppy turned to me and said, you know, when they just do that, like decompressing at night and she turns to me and she goes, mom, did you know what makes me really sad when you've been getting really cross with me? You're like, well, be better. No, I'm kidding. I know. I was like, well, I've got an easy solution for that. (laughs) No. But it broke my heart because, you know, I've been telling myself, no, you haven't been that bad. Like not bad. Bad's a bad word. But, you know, I was like, no, you're overthinking it. You're being hard on yourself. And then she turned to me and said that. And, yeah, I just just haven't been myself in terms of parenting and I feel like I've been feeling this way for a number of weeks and I'm like, okay, time to actually try and turn this around a little bit. So can I just say something? Yeah. In our intros lately, you're overanalyzing absolutely everything and I know that you are, but I still think that you haven't realized how much you do and how much life is at the moment. Like you have Mm. a baby that's still not sleeping Enough. And I feel like when they get past that, you know, six month mark, there's something in your brain that's like, I actually need sleep. Like I I can't Mm. do this anymore. My brain doesn't function. And then you go in this mum guilt of like, oh, even when you feel like you're overreacting, you're allowed to have a short fuse. You've got Mm. three kids and I'm not saying, oh, because you've got three kids, you're allowed to just blow your lid, but (laughs) you're allowed to blow your lid just in general. And also you're doing a hell of a lot work-wise. You're doing so many other things. You need to like take the pressure off yourself and literally, yes, if she says that, well, that's right. You know what, Poppy? I'm actually, as much as I'd love to just be your best friend, I'm your mum. And sometimes it's a lot when I'm trying to juggle Goldie and this and that and that. And you're going to hear me from time to time lose my cool. I do it so often now that no one even bats an eyelid. So I've actually gone over the other side of it. Poppy did go. It made me feel a bit better because Poppy goes, and dad, when you yell at us, I get sad too. And I'm like, your dad has never yelled in his life. So I know that's just a blatant lie. I was like, like, he never yells. So I don't know when he would have made you feel sad from yelling, but no, I do agree. And I do feel like we've reached this stage with Pearl that she's so busy. She's not quite crawling. So she's it's super a manic frustrated. Age. I've reached the point where I'm like, oh, I might actually have to buy some toys for you. Like I've literally just been popping her on a mat and I'm like, here, have a Barbie. Have, have a saucepan. Have <laughs> a, yeah, saucepan. Have a piece of wooden pear. Like, and it's really just not cutting it anymore. And I think Nick and I have realized that every waking minute, one of us must be entertaining her. And it was almost like being left with her was the quote unquote easy child and all of a sudden it's like oh wow there's actually a lot of effort and output and it's not physically possible for me to be entertaining I know what it her is. every waking minute I've worked it out what this is literally another mini transition in motherhood. It you, is. You I were know, finding your new normal yeah, at six I months. Am. And I think that with the other two it was nine months. I remember yeah. at nine months going oh, wow, like I'm not directly postpartum anymore. We've really moved into a new phase. I need to reassess things. And I think just like she was eating two months earlier and she was this two months earlier. I think she's just hit this phase earlier. And part of me is so worried about the chaos that will happen when she starts crawling. But I do also think that maybe she will be a little bit less frustrated because she can get around. And Nick and I have agreed that we're going to have to set up a mini pen prison yes. a pen pen's yes. a nicer word yes. for it somewhere because we have like for internal stairs <laughs> <laughs> she's now an animal in a cage continue <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be 
be like at the top. I won't cover it over. You no. know, there'll be like breathing space. You can throw food the in there. I can throw throw a lamb trough in, and she'll be happy. <laughs> but yeah, I just think that, as you said, it's that new normal it that is. transition. Okay, we need to get her some toys that are appropriate for her milestone. Mm-hmm. We need to just realize that we're in another stage. So that's where I'm at. I'm like, okay, I'm sick of feeling crabby. Let's do something about this. You know that I'm very solutions driven, yeah. and I'm like, I've felt out these feels enough time to do something about it. Well, there you go. And you know what? You figured it out. You're going to find some toys. And I think also when I was told in the thick of it at three months, someone saying it's your new normal, it was like this sense of relief. But I think sometimes we need to be reminded as parents that there are so many stages throughout that you are going to have that new normal mentality again and go, oh, okay, I need to be reminded this is a refresh again. This is a new stop. This is something else that we need to go through and that's okay. Yeah. It's a lot. Absolutely. It's it a is, lot. Because I do feel like you get used to one thing and then all of a sudden. And look, I'm the biggest advocate for like, don't fix something if it's not broken. But I'm like, okay, you've had enough time to realize that whatever's happening right now is broken. Time to fix something. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> so how are you? How was your week? My week was good. I can't really remember what happened last week. So <laughs> it makes me think that not a lot has happened and I'm just no plodding news along. No good news. Yeah. <laughs> but I have, I'm up to my third week of my made up health kick and look, a few wheels have dropped off. I'm probably <laughs> on a freaking um, unicycle right now, but it's good. I have found myself more balanced in the health terms of things like yes Friday I had a few drinks and on Father's Day I had a champagne with mum and Greta and it was really nice but I am Monday back to it eating really well and doing all the things that has made me feel really good about myself so I've just really liked that and it's not going to be a three-week thing we're going to now because I'm nearly at the three-week mark continue this for a longer period of time I just mentally needed to get my head around that I could do something for three weeks haven't yet done it we're not there yet so we'll just see so anyway (laughs) another thing what else we had Father's Day which was great Uh, we basically just watched my dad and Harry watch sport all day and we cooked it was so old school we were like what are we actually doing here anyway they said it was the best father Father's Day ever because they didn't lift anything but their jaw to eat. And um, that's about it. My low would be the piles of washing that is just everywhere in my house that ended up pretty much being a high because that's how freaking high these things are. (laughs) But I managed to slowly over the weekend like just I'm not even folding anymore. I'm done. Mm. I'm just like I do when it comes out of the dryer on a Friday. Anything else gets squished and splotted. Otherwise, it just gets pulled out and I get stressed. Can I give a permission slip to all the people listening? Yes. Try and come up. This is something that's really helped me recently. Are there still loads of washing everywhere? Absolutely. Are things still not really getting put away? Absolutely. But this has really helped. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? Their clothes don't necessarily have to be in their wardrobe. So in our house, the laundry is downstairs and their bedrooms are upstairs. What they always do is come downstairs in their pyjamas. We've got to get them dressed for the day. I'm going upstairs and downstairs going, is this what you want to wear? Is this what you want to wear? The clean clothes sit downstairs they generally end up like taking their clothes off the pile anyway I finally get it upstairs and then I'm bringing it downstairs to get them dressed so we have these storage drawers downstairs that are near the living area that we used to have like throws and cushions in or some of their toys and that kind of thing <laughs> that's now a anyway, new wardrobe I emptied them out and one drawer is Poppy's frequently worn clothes and one drawer is Goldie's frequently worn clothes with some like socks and undies and stuff in there they come downstairs and they're pajamas and I'm like go to your drawer pick out your outfit and the only thing I have to take upstairs is pajamas like ready for the night and it means I'm not going up and down the stairs and I don't put off putting their washing away so much because I'm like the drawers are literally right here under where I fold it boom they're in so this is just permission if you want to get you know if your laundry is big enough that you can have some buckets in there that literally have clean clothes in them most of the time our kids aren't putting on and taking off their clothes in the bedroom where it's meant to be you know happening so just find an easier alternative I love that. the other thing to that 
if you don't have upstairs and you have like shit just really, really close and I can't deal. So everything's one level here and they will put clothes from the hallway down all the way into my bedroom. And what I got were these really cool folded compactable baskets so when there's no clothes in them you can just put them away look the chance Have they of that ever happening. been put away? No, <laughs> never, not once. But what I do is everyone in our house has one. So if I find any pieces of clothing, and this goes for the kids when I say, hey, I need you to put all the shoes away, they just go and dump them in everyone's baskets. Yeah. The baskets don't get put away, but I feel like at least there is a space to put it's stuff. contained yeah. it's contained and yeah. they are like it's small so they can all go into each other's rooms I agree if I had upstairs 100% I'd do what you do because yeah you're not going to go up and down 24 7 it's just too much no. but yeah guys between us surely there's a hack in there is that our <laughs> mum hack for the week sure we're, yeah. I mean we've both got laundry all over our house so we're both still looking for hacks but we're happy yeah. to pretend to dish out a hack here and there yeah. too actually I've got a riddle fabulous for us and I think this could really help me in the stage of life that I'm in with Pearl. Rude or fabulous, giving my toddler a new, not used, slow-release dog treat toy to keep her busy while I cook or pee. Here's a visual aid, and she's sent through a Google search of dog treat toy, and they're those circular things that you have to shake and roll about, and a little treat pops out of it. I'm going to do that to Pearl. Because her love language is food. Hey, do you know what else you can do? You can get those dog rubber mats. They're circle with the little indents and you can smear peanut butter on there and she can just sit there and lick it. Put her in a high chair. It'll take her aid. Oh, has she got a nut allergy? I, I don't think she's had peanut butter yet, but that's Try okay. It. That's a great way to introduce yeah. it. Yeah. Great. So I instead of going to Baby Bunting or Kmart today, I'm going to go to Pet World yep. and my life is going to be sorted. <laughs> I love it. All right, getting into today's episode, this was a really beautiful chat. I feel like we both learned so much. This was with Hannah King and she was talking about her journey and experience when her first bub was diagnosed with having cleft, so a cleft palate and a cleft lip. Uh, this is definitely an area that I don't feel like is spoken about it much at mm. all because I I personally didn't know much about it. But I'm sure this will really relate to a lot of parents out there. And even if it's something that you haven't gone through, I feel like you could learn heaps from the chat. Yeah, I definitely did as well. And she also opened up about her miscarriages and what she had to go through. And, and as common as it is, is it what, like one in four? One in three to four, depending okay, on the age. Okay, so yeah. yeah, these conversations are still very rarely had. And if you are going through or you have had a miscarriage, please know that you are not alone. And we really thank Hannah for her openness and hope that you guys enjoy her story. Hello, Hannah. Thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the Bump today. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah, so my husband and I are actually high school sweethearts. So we met in boarding school. Oh, yeah. yeah. And oh, yeah. hang on. Yeah. Back up. <laughs> Was this a, a mixed a sex sex boarding school? school? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what were your parents thinking? <laughs> <laughs> no, so we, yeah, we got together quite young. We were about 15. So we got married quite young as well. And obviously always sort of wanted like family and things like that. I always talk about my husband being like, he just loves kids. He's just, we call him the king of the kids because, well, his surname. So, oh, of course. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, we. Hey, before you even go further, can yeah. you just go back? Did you ever like do sneaky dorms, <laughs> like going into each other's rooms? And was it any like, you know, what I think it would yeah, be like? You got in a lot of trouble if you. You did. So I was a good girl. Oh. I didn't go into other dorms, but <laughs> there was definitely. But he came into yours. We get the picture. <laughs> yeah. Got yeah. it. There was exceptions. Cool. I feel like now if there's anything about one another that irritate you, like neither of you have a leg to stand on because it's kind of like you've basically been living together yeah. since you were 15. <laughs> much, yeah. It's like you really had the time to make sure you liked one another. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and he went straight from boarding school to living together. So 
was also like a big transition of being like, so what are you capable of doing yourself? Because at boarding yeah. school, you kind of get mothered, but at the same time you don't. So he, he did yeah. well. Yeah. And I'm sure there was that transition period of like, we're allowed to go in any room yeah. we want. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Definitely. I actually think we probably would have gotten more strife if we were just going to normal schools, to be honest, because like, right. there's so much restrictions at boarding schools. Yeah. So you can't really go into dorms or whatever like that. Whereas at home, you might have them over or whatever, but it's none of that. So it's pretty strict. <laughs> we'll move on because we didn't get you on today just to talk about boarding, <laughs> boarding school. Boarding school. <laughs> Actually, this episode is going to be about whether you're going to choose boarding school or not for your <laughs> <Yes>. children. <laughs> That's a whole other topic. <laughs> yes, it is. So king of the kids, always wanted a family, continue on. Yeah, so we... We're married quite young and then we had decided that we wanted to have kids like pretty soon after, really, after being together for so long. With It wasn't really a question. We always wanted kids. So we tried for about a year before then we went and saw a fertility specialist in Wollongong here and he was excellent. He was so good, got us straight on to, I have PCOS, so we kind mm. of ex- knew that we would have a little bit of trouble along the way. So knew that it wasn't going to be an easy venture for us but we ended up going on to medication that helped bring on ovulation and things like that and then doing follicle tracking along the way so this was the best path for us not IVF so we went down that track we fell pregnant pretty much third time round so like three months of trying and got to yeah, really excited, I guess, because it had been such a long time, two years by this point that we'd been trying for. So we got to that scan, the 12-week scan, and found that unfortunately we'd lost the first one. So it wasn't until then that we were, we just didn't even think that like after having infertility, we didn't even think about miscarriage being Mm. a thing. You sort of have in your head that you've done it, you've, you've, brought yeah. the baby on, you've made a baby, you're going to like keep the baby Or you get given on. one obstacle and your obstacle yes. was it was difficult to get pregnant. Yeah. But then, yeah, no, I get yeah. you. Yeah, so little did we know that was like the smallest obstacle along the way. Mm. So we fell pregnant, had the miscarriage at 12 weeks and then I had DNC to remove because it was obviously too late by then. And had you had a completely normal dating scan? No, actually, I don't think we had a seven-week scan, to be honest. I think we just left it and kept carrying on. My HCG levels were looking amazing. Like they were climbing so much that they didn't think that was concerned, to be honest. We were doing the dating scan at the 12 weeks. So during this time, it was COVID as well. So a lot of appointments were cut out here and there because of COVID. So they weren't wanting you to come in for stuff like that along the way. So yeah. It was just the beginning. So we just went to the 12 week scan and found out, unfortunately, that way. So we ended up having a DNC and then found that they'd actually left tissue behind placenta after about four weeks after that one. So we then had another DNC to remove that. How did you find that? A, a ultrasound. Yeah. Right. So because you were having symptoms. I actually hadn't. No, it was just that my specialist, I guess the difference was we were going through a specialist to fall pregnant. So it wasn't like it was just a normal situation and I fell pregnant so easily. Yeah. And like, it was just a matter of trying again once your time's up. So we went and had the scan at the four weeks just to make sure everything was okay. And unfortunately they told us at that scan as well, that there's placenta left in there and that we're going to have to go back in again. So he, I had my specialist do it the second time around and he found that there was scar tissueing, there was placenta left. It was a bit of a mess really. So we ended up having to have a third check as well four weeks later after that DNC to then check that it was all good, the scar tissueing was okay. Otherwise, we weren't able to have a baby again pretty much because it's not like a safe place for the baby to be born into so yeah so it dragged on for quite a while after having two years of trying and then dragging on for months then to be able Mm. to like fall pregnant again I think it took roughly around three months or so and then we were able to start trialing again the medication so 
we fell pregnant the next time straight away uh, on the medication. We knew the dosage, we were able to just jump straight back in again. This one didn't stick quite quickly. So I think it was probably like my six weeks maybe and we had the HCG levels checked because something wasn't feeling right and they pretty much dropped dramatically. And he said, look, you're going to miscarriage in the next couple of days. So it, it was hard because we were like, yeah, once again, feeling like, okay, we've had that out of the way, let's go again kind of thing. So, And can I ask, how old were you at this stage? I think I was about 26 perhaps. Yeah. Okay, all right. Because I was going to say, I imagine, I mean, it's hard at any age, but I, I, in my mind I was imagining you was like 21 or something. And I imagine if you've never had any friends try and conceive, you're probably still in that, you know, when you're a teenager and everyone thinks if you're on the pill, if you miss one day Mm. of the pill and have sex, you're going to get pregnant. And the only, I guess, there's many benefits of waiting, I guess, but one of the benefits of waiting is like generally people around you get pregnant and you kind of are shown a more realistic side of fertility and of pregnancy and conceiving and all of that. So I, I, I was just thinking if you were 21 at the time, you may have gone into it thinking, oh, I don't know anyone who's ever had a miscarriage before yeah well it all was like that like I don't think I'd ever known anyone that had a miscarriage leading up to Mm, that to be honest I don't even think I knew a lot of infertility issues because when we first started trying I was probably 24 so yeah like I just you just don't hear of people talking about it at such a young age like that that they're having troubles or and then miscarriages and things like that it's just not talked about like it's just It's not until now that I've been through that experience that I've met so many women that have had like miscarriages. It is so much more common than you even realise before you start talking Mm. about it. And obviously you can then relate with someone and be able to open mind about everything and talk through everything. But before that, like it was such a taboo, like you just, you didn't talk about it. You didn't like, I even talked about my mum and she had a miscarriage and she didn't talk about it to anyone. Like it was mm. way worse back then. So mm. it's just crazy. We're slowly getting there, but it's taken a long totally. time, definitely. So I think even that, like, I had a miscarriage maybe six years ago. And I feel like the way that the, the conversation has changed, even in that time, mm. has been. You know, I, I knew that it was around one in four pregnancies that it would happen, but. It's still no one was talking about it. Like yeah. I was like, who are these yeah. one in four? Because, yeah, that's a stat, but, like, who even are they? And it wasn't until I went through it and I guess I was pretty open about it and would chat to people and, you know, every person said either they'd had one or their sister had had one or, oh, yeah, my best friend. And I was like, where, where's, like, not that it's anyone's right to no. tell another person to speak on that, but I was like, where's all the conversations yeah. around it? And I've had friends too that don't want to talk about it and that's so okay if that's how, like yeah. your coping mm. mechanism is is to just not talk about it then that's that's fine as well which yeah I think it's either way you, yeah you want to talk about it and that's your way of healing from it all or don't so then what happened next uh so then we actually got told to have a bit of a pause after that and have some more tests done by our specialist he obviously thought like two miscarriages like that We'd been taking medication, everything should be working. Like everything was actually perfect apart from the fact that I just wasn't ovulating properly with the PCOS and stuff like that. So he was like, let's take a break. Let's see how we go, run these tests and see what happens pretty much. So two months later, (laughs) surprise, I fell pregnant. (laughs) So it was a bit of a shock, but we... Without any medication or anything? No medication, yes. Yeah. So this is the one that you, you dread everyone telling you this when you have a miscarriage, but they'll be like, oh, you'll just fall pregnant fine next time. And you'll, it'll be no issue at all. And then I had that second miscarriage and I was like, well, that's not the case at all. You don't just fall pregnant yeah. and just carry on. And then the third time I fell naturally and I was like, well, bloody hell, they're, they're right. But still don't say it to anyone. Still, even though it does happen to some people, don't say it to anyone. Were you in complete shock that that happened? Like were you even looking at your cycle at this stage or were you just having a full-on break? I wasn't getting like my period or anything because I was obviously not ovulating properly. So like I got nothing, no warning signs whatsoever. And it was just a matter of uh, like I think our doctor sort of said, don't try but don't 
stop trying, just do whatever mm. and keep going. And so we were, we were, <laughs> and then, yeah, we had a baby. <laughs> so what so a, how did what you happened? know you were pregnant if you weren't did waiting you get on a, a cycle anyway? Yeah. Yeah. So that was the amazing part of this falling pregnant this time. It was such a better experience being able to find out myself rather than like with the follicle tracking, you're pretty much, you're told, mm. okay, go home and do the deed. And then I think it's two weeks later, then you have to go get another ultrasound to see if it's connected and things like that. So this time around, I just literally felt sick and not myself. And I was like, oh, I might just do a test, you know, like I've already got a ton of them in my cupboard anyway, because we try so much (laughs) with the tests. And so I was like, let's just see how we go. And sure enough, I was shocked. Like I, to begin with, I called my husband and I was like, it's got to be wrong. Like this can't be right. Like I, I cannot be pregnant. And he was like, oh, maybe, maybe. So he brought home like more tests again. (laughs) Yeah, it was right. (gasps) And so then we went and had an appointment with our specialist and he was like, look, everything's looking really good. Let's just like fingers crossed, maybe because it Mm. is naturally, it could be different. We don't know. Let's just see how things go. So yeah, it was just a matter of like going on. How far along were you? I was on early actually so I started getting like morning sickness that time around really early which I did with the first one as well which also blows us away still I'm still incredibly sick at my 12-week scan when we lost the first so even this time around being sick and going to our scans I was like it still might not be true it still might not happen so yeah it was tough but um we made it to the 12-week scan Luckily, everything was fine. They said everything's all good. We got to our 19-week scan, which is obviously checking absolutely everything. And we found out that Charlie, our little girl, was actually cleft. So we found out that she had a unilateral cleft on her right side. And that's pretty much all we were told when we first went. So luckily, the midwife, uh, sorry, the sonographer picked it up pretty easily and told us in that appointment so yeah we we found out that she was a cleft baby and that was just crazy like we yeah I can't even explain that feeling that we had but the feeling of losing two babies before felt nothing compared to like that moment in that ultrasound like it was just we were just shattered I didn't know what to think to be honest because we knew nothing about cleft babies. Like I've never heard of, never known anyone to have a cleft. I've never mm. heard about cleft before. It wasn't something that we thought about. Like after having miscarriages, it, you just pretty much thought either the baby was going to survive or yeah. you're going to have your baby. So like there was there was no thought of like no in between. something being, yeah, in between. So And for people who don't know, what is cleft? So cleft is actually formed in the first 12 weeks. It's the the part where the the first 12 weeks is when the face is molding pretty much. So when the cleft is created, it means that on that that 12 weeks, it just hasn't connected together at the face. So this is the, the last stage pretty much. So as of like 12 weeks, if your baby's cleft, there's pretty much nothing you can do about it. Like that, that is it. Like you, your baby's going to be cleft from that point. And is it just, it, it, does it come down to severities of how big it is or is it just a more physical yeah. issue or is it debilitating? Yeah. So there's bilateral and unilateral, which bilaterals the two nostrils and then unilaterals mm-hmm. just one side or the other doesn't matter which side, it can just be one side or the other for each baby. And then there's cleft palate as well. So cleft palate's quite hard. At the time when we had Charlie, we couldn't find out whether or not she had a cleft palate. Cleft lip is what they say is sort of like a little bit of an easier situation because it doesn't affect their feeding. It doesn't affect their speech as much. It's, it's like the better choice out of the two kind of thing, if you put it that way. But having a cleft palate, it's a whole nother ball game, a whole 
lot of extra things that can go wrong pretty much. So there are three different things, cleft lip, cleft palate and cleft. Yeah, yeah. so cleft lip. Cleft is an umbrella. Cleft, yeah, cleft is, is right? an umbrella for it, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Right, so okay. So if, if you someone's saying to you that they've had a cleft baby or something, it's pretty much saying they've got one of the three types kind of thing. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right. So there are babies that can be born too that are just a palate as well. So you might not be able to even tell that the baby's got a cleft lip in the ultrasound, like everything looks perfect. And then once they're born, they might not have a palate at all. So there's also that as well. It's not just lip and palate together. Wow. And so you knew going into it that Charlie would definitely have a cleft lip, but you weren't to know until she was born whether it was involving the palate as well. Yep. So we only knew about the lip. And then at that point, we actually got, so as soon as we'd found out that she had the cleft lip, we went up to Ranwick Hospital where they have a cleft clinic. And so then up at the cleft mm-hmm. clinic, they were able to take us through pretty much worst case scenario. So like we obviously knew at this point that it was where the lip was, everything about that wasn't the bilateral, which is quite intense, but we didn't know anything about the palate. So we had to pretty much learn how to feed the baby if it was a palate. Mm. You can't breastfeed when you have a cleft palate, but you can breastfeed if it's just lip, depending on the severity, obviously. But um, yeah, so we were going into it like thinking, I'd always wanted to breastfeed. It was just my mum was a really good breastfeeder and I was like, I'm going to breastfeed too. (laughs) And then we obviously got to this point that we were like, okay, this might not happen. So we learnt the bottle. They were amazing up there. They gave us so much information along the way. It was really daunting though to go up to those appointments, to be honest. Like it was COVID again. So everything was going into hospitals. It was masks. There was one point where my husband wasn't allowed to come in with me as well and I was already like hormones running through my body from being pregnant as well as finding out this news Hmm. so and quite an unknown news as well I guess it's you know to some degree but you really don't know what impact this is gonna have yeah definitely yeah and then not knowing as well how intense it was going to be like whether or not it was just going to be a lip or if it was going to be a palate so we definitely went in there being totally convinced that it was just palate and lip so that we didn't know any different it was just going to be and if it wasn't palate then awesome but so yeah we we ended up having Charlie at 38 weeks and she was lip and palate so we then had to we actually were recommended by our cleft clinic to put them on to the boob straight up when they first come off so that you get that bond and that connection. She's like, nothing's going to happen. She's not going to be able to to get any milk from you or anything, but just to have that bond and that time together. So we did that first up. I actually collected that much colostrum beforehand as well, just to be fully prepared for anything. Go mama. Yeah. (laughs) And then we were able to syringe feed her for a couple of days and then eventually going on to the bottle with the special teeth. So Mm -hmm. the teeth actually have like a pallet on the top of them. So they've got like a hard surface on the top of the bottle. Wow. um, Which creates like a pallet for them. So yeah, it's incredible. And then they have a valve as well so the valve then puts the milk into the teat and then they push it through so they don't have to they're not sucking like a normal baby would oh wow and so taking it back just ever so slightly were you able to just go into labor or did that have to be a very controlled environment or that was probably the one like the best part of it is that I had an amazing midwife and she had never had a cleft, so she'd done a lot of research along with us. And she was like, this is a normal pregnancy. We're doing this normally. You get to do anything you want to do. Even when the mm-hmm. baby's born, we were told, like, we can do this. We know how to use the teats, everything like that. There was one point there where they wanted to take her away and put her on tubes because they didn't feel like we were able to do it ourselves and just not confident that we could do it but my midwife was amazing she was like no we've got this like give the baby back we can work this out so Mm. yeah Yeah. we had a normal labor everything went normally I my waters broke as normal and I got induced 
And how was it being in labor and going through birth knowing that, I mean, I guess everyone at the end of birth is seeing someone for the first time, but knowing that you were kind of getting your answer, I guess, at the end of that marathon effort. Yeah, that was pretty, pretty stressful, to be honest. Like it, yeah. um, now having a second baby, the experience was so much different to that first experience. And I didn't recognize that until now, until after having a second, just because, yeah, I just, I didn't know what to expect, like you said. So we didn't know the sex either. So we were sort of hoping that that would be our thing to be like, oh, it's a boy or girl. Like that's our yeah. surprise. Not so much about the fact that is she cleft, is yeah. she or he, she a cleft lip or palate or whatever. So we tried to keep that the surprise. But at the end of the day, that was the first thing that happened was like she came out a whole swarm of doctors came in because it's so, it was quite uncommon for Wollongong to get a cleft baby. They don't get them very often. So yeah, they were all sort of checking. Even when you do the really late 3D ultrasounds, can they not see? No, no. Well, they never were for us. I've like recently spoken to other people and they were able to find out whether or not they had a cleft palate. But we just were never told. So whether or not it was the way the baby was sitting, they could never get it or anything yeah. like that. But they just always said to us that, oh, we can't tell for yeah. sure that it was going to yeah. be. So, yeah, we we just went in with it being like it is a cleft palate yeah. and let's just go with that. So, yeah. And did you have any concerns about, I guess, like cosmetically how it was going to look. I mean, I know as parents, we all want to say it doesn't matter as long as they're happy. That's all that matters. But I can imagine there was also a part of that involved. Oh, definitely. Like that's probably the hardest question to ask because as a parent now, you never want to question yourself that because you love your kids unconditionally. Like no matter what they look like, no matter what conditions they might have, cleft is nothing compared to some conditions that some kids have but there still was that element that I was nervous about how she's going to look how she's going to be treated that yeah at school things like that down the track how is she going to develop with this so definitely it was it was probably like that 20 weeks then till I had her was probably the hardest 20 weeks because I had to really get my head in the groove that this is happening, you're going to have to deal with the fact that you're going to be asked like, oh, what's wrong with her? And oh, why does she look like that? And so, mm. yeah, it was it was probably the hardest part for me. Unfortunately, appearance is a lot of things. So now though, you, you would really struggle to tell that she's a cleft baby. But yeah, originally it was hard. Is that through surgery? Yeah. So what happens after that? Yeah. Point? Yeah. So we're we went to, we had many appointments before her first surgery, but we went up to Randwick at about four months, I think it was. COVID, it was meant to be three months, but COVID happened and the lockdowns happened and it's not a priority. So she got put back, which also was a hard situation because we were we were wanting to start the ball rolling and things yeah. like that. And so, yeah, we had the surgery about four months old and she was, she was great. She had a lip first. So she just gets the stitch up from like under the nose through to the lip and that's it for the first surgery. So this one's pretty much just cosmetic. Like that's not affecting anything but just looking somewhat right cosmetically perfect kind of thing. So yeah. It wasn't until the nine months that we then had her palate surgery. This one obviously is then going to like change things for food and like eating mm. and stuff like that because everything that goes in and went in her mouth came straight out her nose. So as much as we loved her little features, it was very messy giving her food because it was just pretty much everything. As in before she'd had the before surgery. Before she had the surgery. Yeah. 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 Totally. Because if you and don't so have you the palate, it's yeah. going out. I never thought. So how did you, did you have to have a different diet? Like how do you, even drinking milk, would it, yeah. unless she's no, like. because they used the palate. Yeah. yeah. The palate there. Yeah. Laying back with milk. It wasn't too bad if she was also a colic baby because she was on bottle and it was a different kind of bottle and things like that. 
she did often do sickies and it would come out both, but it was very messy until she got her palate done pretty much. So, yeah. And what was that like? The surgeries were really good. She coped really well. I feel as if she was always meant to be going through a journey like this, if that makes sense. She's always had, she's always been such a tough little baby. Like even I just had someone say to me in the park this morning that, wow, she just like topples over and gets back up again. And she's so Mm, brave and so strong and resilient. Yeah. Yeah. So she had her nine month surgery and that was Probably like the hardest surgery, to be honest, because it meant having to go back to a liquid diet for her, which is, as you know, for babies, it is hard to then restrict them back to like a liquid diet after introducing foods. And the recovery was so much harder with having the palate done. So she. So what do they do? They draw the two sides of the palate together or do they have to add something in between? No, so it's the same as the lip they pretty much cut either side so that there's like a flesh to bind together and then they just stitch it up and it was the same for the the palette. Yeah. So she'll never have a a bone palette like we do, like a hard palette. Mm. She'll always have a soft palette. So she always has to be careful of things she might be eating and stuff like that because it can pierce it or whatever. So, yeah, apart from that though, like it's, it's a functioning palette. Isn't it incredible? Because I obviously, this is the first time I've had a conversation with someone that has a baby with a cleft palate and to have a, you know, a specialist where they have all the info and the bottles and everything, it's just, did that just make it so much, like put you more at ease knowing that you had a place that made you feel so comfortable knowing that you're going to be okay and this is how we feed and, you know, they just... I guess, nurtured you through this process? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Our coordinator, like like our cleft, you get assigned like a cleft coordinator. And she pretty much is like, call me anytime you want, like if before the birth and after the birth. So if you did have any problems, just call me and we'll like work it out together. So that was like, you definitely didn't feel alone in it. Like you, you get a lot of support. And then we also joined a lot of groups to get support from other mums and dads and things like that. So we also like joined a Facebook group and we also had like a few people that we'd met through that, that we were able to like connect with and talk about what their experience was like. And so when she was recovering from the surgery, did she have to go on to NG feeds or anything for a while? Like was her mouth too sore to feed or was she still able to take bottles? Yeah, so they pretty much, she comes out of surgery and you straight away give her a bottle. So that was probably the hardest one was the palate because it was so much like bleeding Mm. and it was such an open wound, things like that, that it was quite confronting to see in any situation you don't want to see your child in pain and you don't want to see them hurt but at that point though they have obviously been under so taking a bottle she really couldn't feel much through the cleft it wasn't until maybe a couple of days later that everything sort of wears off and then the pain starts to hit and stuff like that so yeah initially we just straight away put her onto a bottle once she came out of surgery and then she stuck to a bottle for a couple of weeks I think it might have been I'm trying to trace back now and then she went back to like puree food and things like that we hadn't given a real solid food yet just so that we didn't have to yeah. like reintroduce it. Going back yeah yeah and how does cleft affect speech yeah so it is a big factor as well so we're actually going through that procedure at the moment So around two years old, which is now two next month, Mm -hmm. um, we start to go through like speech pathology. So at this point, she's tracking really well. She's talking really well. She has her own little gibberish that she talks. But most (laughs) of the time she's saying the right things. And we've had a consult already with a speech pathologist and she said that she's doing quite well so we just have to have a few more training techniques and things like that, but it can definitely affect them. And it can also actually, another one that you don't think about, it affects their ears as well. So it's it's all connected. So mm. she then had to have grommets with her second surgery as well because she had fluid in the ears. 
So that was going to then help her speech as well. And what are the main speech concerns, the ability to pronounce words properly? Is that what it mainly is? Yeah. Well, the two factors, which we eliminated one with the grommets, not being able to hear things properly, which a lot of Mm -hmm. kids have that issue. Then the next one was the using your palate to like say Mm. like D's and B's and P's and things like that they say is the hardest ones for them to get. So, so far she says, dad, she's been saying dad for ages, favourite person in the world. They always do. I know. She actually said mum first and that was purely because she, a lot of babies don't, but because of the palette, that was her first thing to say. So, Well, there's a perk. silver lining. (laughs) 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 We honestly will take what we can get at this stage. Now I wish she didn't say mum, but yeah, yeah, (laughs) Same. I remember when my first said Poppy for the first time and I thought it was so cute and then she got stuck on a loop for like 48 hours (laughs) where all she would say nonstop was Poppy and I was like, how do we make her forget this word? I don't even know if I like her name anymore like I was just like make it it stop (laughs) yeah and so physically and aesthetically does she have like a I'm gonna say a Joaquin Phoenix kind of scarring is that kind of what it looks like so she's got quite a minimal scarring for her lip you can hardly a lot of people cannot tell unless I tell them that she's Claire Oh, wow. But it's actually her nose that is the most noticeable, pun intended. And so she <laughs> <laughs> she actually has quite a wonky little nose and things like that, which we will down the track have to get surgery on. They can't operate on that until they've developed everything. So mm. roughly around their late teens before they can get cosmetic surgery on their nose. So and so that would be purely for the way it looks, the nose functions yeah. fine. Yeah. Uh, for us at this point, I think she will definitely need it because her nose isn't functioning great. She does probably only have about perhaps 20% out of that nose um, compared to the oh, other wow. side. So, yeah, yeah, when she gets sick, it's really quite hard because it's like the snot's got to go somewhere. So yeah. a lot of the time we're having to, yeah do everything we can to keep it nice and clear and stuff like that. You don't even think about all the elements that (laughs) it impacts. And we didn't either until you just work it out as you're going pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And have you come across or mainly just online other people who went through a similar situation or have you made friends in real life that have? So mostly it was online, yeah. And I did have a lot of people do the whole, I've got a friend of a friend that's got a cleft baby. Do you want me to get you guys together and you can talk? And to be honest, I love talking about our situation and I love being open about it, but I feel like I get enough talking to just my friends and family and stuff like that. I don't need that as much my husband's probably more of a needs the reinsurance from someone else he was actually the one that joined the facebook groups and was reaching out to other cleft parents well good on him yeah he he's one of those ones that loves to know all the information yeah i like to hide under the doona and pretend like everything's gonna be okay (laughs) it's okay they're both they both work complement each other exactly and so you said that one of your fears was once she was born going out and about and the comments that would people would make did that end up being a reality or were people more respectful than you expected yeah we put a lot of things in place before she was born to try and make that easier for us so we did actually We'd only told our family from about when we found out at the 19-week scan and it wasn't until a little bit further on that we told then that small group of next lot of friends that we were having a cleft baby, more for emotional support than anything Mm. and to get us through those couple of months together. And then it wasn't until right before she was going to be born that we'd actually decided to tell most of our friends. So we we then put out the word to everyone and just saying, look, we're just letting you know because we wanted it to be an easy transition when she is born that people aren't like, oh, I, I didn't know that she was going to be cleft or yeah. um, what's wrong with her or whatever. So we did put that in place to begin with so that we didn't get those questions and we didn't get that the look from someone. We were able to sort of pretty much go through it 
earlier on rather than once she was there. So, yeah, we put that into place. It did help that it was COVID lockdown when she was born. So we couldn't see anyone. The only people that we had seen were my parents and they were helping us out until actually my mum had a major accident two weeks after she was born. So that was a whole another ball game that brought on yeah. Is she okay? Something else. Yes, yeah, yeah. She she'd broken and shattered her leg and had to go to hospital. But it was yeah, it was quite bad that she had compartment syndrome and yeah, it was it was a whirlwind. (laughs) Do you have any advice for When you are out and about and, you know, there's lots of kids that can have differences, if you just met someone out, would you rather, you know, they see your bub in the pram, you just say, hi, your bub's beautiful or did you like people bringing it up or is it best to just not speak about the difference? Yeah, so weirdly enough, after spending that 20 weeks sort of getting my head around it and everything and being really worried about the cosmetic side of things and what people would think, my concept of it all changed so much once she was born. I guess it's that first initial love that you have for that baby and you just want to protect them in any way. Mm. So I actually loved her cleft once she was born. It was bizarre like how we just shifted and we were like, wow, she's so beautiful how she is. And she used to have these cute little features that she used to poke her tongue through it and things like that. Mostly people would then look at that and go, oh, that's a bit odd or whatever. But it was the things that we loved most about her, to be honest. We missed it when she lost her I was going to say, was it hard once it got close? Yeah, yeah, incredibly hard. Because it's the only way you've known her. Yeah, yeah. And we felt almost bad because we were like, this is how she was meant to be born. But obviously this day and age you don't want them to stick with a cleft because well you don't want them to get bullied and they don't want to be different and things like that but you almost don't want them to get a change because it's just it's who they are so yeah so you could close the palate and leave the lip and it would be like functionally she would be fine yeah yeah there's countries overseas that like kids are not getting surgery until they're at least in the teens and things like that with lip and palate so yeah, either way, really, they could live even without the palate if they had to. So it'd be harder, <laughs> definitely. But yeah, there is countries that the kids are just obviously not able to get the the support like we do here. So yeah. And you've got a second child. When, how, what? And I was going to say why, but we don't we don't <laughs> ask why. It is what it is. Well, we were crazy <laughs> enough to say let's have another one. That's why. <laughs> So did you have um, to go back on the medication or was this another this natural another situation that was like a bit of a fluke so we were trying again after having Charlie and struggling to fall pregnant again this time was only probably a couple of months it was nothing compared to last time so we knew this time though let's just go straight back to the fertility doctor go back on the medication get things going so we booked in for a checkup to see how everything was going and then we're going to start the like follicle tracking again and start the medication again. I think we even had the script and everything to start it. And then, yes, had to cancel my appointment because I was pregnant. So (laughs) it just happened naturally again. So we had to call in like the day before, I think it was the day before and we were leaving for Bali the day after our appointment and say, uh, sorry, we've got to cancel. I'm actually pregnant. So he was like, look, this sorry, is better sorry. than <laughs> sending the money and coming to see me and everything. So it was, yeah, another fluke. And obviously, like, nerves were quite high yeah. this time around for two reasons, like miscarriage again or if we were going to end up with another cleft baby. The percentage of having another cleft baby actually increases after you've had one. So it was a consideration that we were maybe going to have another cleft baby. Was there any help in knowing that you'd kind of got through it before? Definitely. Yeah. 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 The fact that we had made it through the other, the other side and she had both surgeries and she was healthy, happy and thriving pretty much made us think, oh, we can do this again, even if it was a cleft lip or mm. palate or both or whatever we could do this. So yeah, we were totally prepared for her to be, or this one, sorry, to be a cleft lip or palate, but 
yeah, luckily we went to our 20-week scan and they told us that they couldn't see anything that showed any signs of it. Still telling us, though, like, you can't be sure. You pretty much, you've got to still prepare for the fact that it might have a cleft palate and we can't see that. So we did sort of keep that in the back of our minds. We were thinking that things were going to track better this time for some reason. We just sort of felt like it, it wasn't going to be that again. We've had that journey. We're past that. You deserve to have something a little bit easier, easier. smoother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we ended up, yeah, having a little boy and he is all intact. So, yeah, and being able to breastfeed. <laughs> oh, that's, so that's beautiful. And how has the postpartum stage been not having to, I guess, worry about those appointments and, yeah. you know, a special bottle and all of that? Because how old is he now? He is nine weeks now. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yes. Fresh. Yeah, fresh as a daisy, yes. Uh, yeah, it was very different. I obviously, like last time, struggled with postnatal as well after Charlie. So with everything that happened, having a cleft baby and the experiences we had just beforehand was pretty much asking for me to have postnatal depression. And a first-time mum, like that's just a whole other element as well as you guys know as being a first-time mum is so daunting. So mm. I really struggled with postnatal with Charlie, quite severe. And so then this time around, I was so nervous about that happening again. I was quite, yeah, I was concerned that that was going to be another factor, cleft or not. But I think going through that, you are so much more aware of what is right and what's wrong. And you obviously have those anxious days and things like that, but you're you're more aware of it the second time around. You're like, okay, today I'm anxious. That's cool. We're going to be anxious today. We're going to yeah. stay at home. We're going to be like, yeah, awesome. this Bring is what it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's going to pass tomorrow. Whereas with that first one, you're just like, is this ever going to pass? Like, am I ever going to It's all the more? questions and you don't know. Yeah, exactly. And when, after Charlie, when did that really hit and how did that kind of manifest itself? Yeah, so I think the postnatal, I actually left hospital and my husband even talks about this often that I kept everything together really well in that first week considering we were doing such extreme measures of pumping and giving the baby bottles and things like that like it was quite an ordeal that first week I handled it really well and then it wasn't until probably yeah the second week that my mum had the accident then we were I guess the come down of everything, coming home, things like that. And then we had another family member. My husband's dad also had to go to, he came down to help us and he had to go to hospital as well and get his gallbladder out. So it was just oh like a whole lot of things. And that was my moment. I think that was where I, I guess, yeah, anxiety is already so high being hormonal and postnatal and healing as well. And I just pretty much was like, I'm not coping. This is like, I can't, I I pretty much felt like what else could go wrong? Like something else is going to go wrong. Which was very warranted in that situation, let's yeah. be serious. Yeah, because yeah, I feel like postnatally you do have that anxiety of, oh, my gosh, so much responsibility. And when the world is actually showing you, yeah, shit can go wrong, yeah. there's almost nothing to go, no, calm down, like you're, you're being yeah. silly. <laughs> That's not going to happen when things are happening. And yeah. you're like, oh, okay, well, then my anxieties are warranted. warranted. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was such a gloomy time as well with COVID yeah. hanging over everyone's heads. Like everyone was so depressed as it was before COVID, like before yeah. adding that factor into it. So it was such a hard time not even being able to have friends come over or interacting with anyone but my parents. So <laughs> it was it was hard, really hard. But fortunately, I managed to sort of come out of it. I did need medication to help me get through it. I think it took probably a good six to eight months before I actually felt not anxious and able to function like normally. But, yeah, there was definitely some times there where I think it was probably about three or four weeks in that my dad and husband thought she can't look after herself at the moment. Like I was so debilitated. I was in bed every day, which you are as a mum, but 
it was just like I couldn't function. I loved my child so much, but I just couldn't function. So, and did you continue to pump with the bottles? Yeah, or was that, I think that was yeah. a big weight lifted off my shoulder when I stopped expressing at about five weeks. Um, I had a supply for about seven weeks, so we kept giving her breast milk up until about seven weeks. But I think that helped so much. There's so much pressure on breastfeeding, especially in that situation having to pump and bottle feed at the same time. I was spending like two hours every night just pumping, bottle feeding, go to bed yeah. for like an hour. An pumping, hour, yeah. Feeding. <laughs> Sometimes less because they're cluster feeding or whatever. So, yeah, it was it was definitely wow. adding to the factor of like the guilts as well to give that up. And uh, eventually I was just like, this is not worth it. My midwife actually said, I think this isn't worth it anymore. You need mm. to just go to formula. This is just not helping your mental health. So, yeah. And if there are any parents that are listening who have just had an ultrasound and have found out that their bub will be cleft, do you have any words of advice or tips? That's such a hard one. It's it's like you're, you're going to get through it <laughs> pretty much, but... It is your own journey pretty much. So you need to go through it all, feel all the feels. It obviously is going to be a hard time. It's not like you're bringing a normal, healthy baby straight into the world and not having any complications. It's just a matter of I've definitely found my husband was my biggest support. You need to work with each other. You need to, yeah, pretty much do it all together. He was amazing. He just knew when I wasn't coping, he was like, all right, I'll take over or whatever, which is for every uh, new parent. But obviously in this circumstance, you're both going through it together. We're both feeling the same emotions. We're both struggling to like get our heads around the concept that this isn't going to be a normal journey. So yeah, definitely rely on each other to get you through. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today, Hannah. And we hope that all of Charlie's speech and everything, you know, is smooth sailing. But yeah, thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm sure so many people will be able to relate to this. And once again, a topic that's really not spoken about. So thank you so much. No, thank you, ladies. Thanks for letting me tell my story. Our pleasure. (laughs) pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.